Okay. Good to see you. Welcome to the third um, of four messages that we're doing during this summer season on uh, our giving as a church. Uh, the series called Level Up, which we began a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, perhaps you turn with me to Psalm 67. So this being a, a talk about money and about the giving uh, that we do as a church and all of the, uh, the ways in which we, um, we trust God with our money and we prioritize giving to his church. Um, it's, it's a sensitive subject for many, and especially if you're new here, and especially if this is maybe your, your first time with us. And so we've tried to say from the, from the outset of this series, this is a series very much targeted at those who are members of this church, people who see Emmanuel as their church and who are part of it. Uh, because we've said to people who are members uh, that you know, one of the ways in which you express membership is by being part of the, the, the team when it comes to carrying the financial burden, carrying the financial challenge. If you're not a member, if you're new, if you're, if you're just here uh, as a friend today, a guest perhaps, listen, you are so welcome and privileged because you get to sit in on us as we sit around the the family table, and do the family business. So uh, this is a very practical talk about our finance and how we do finance. I hope and I believe, in fact, that it will be interesting and relevant to you, whoever you are, because it touches on the subject that Jesus talked about a lot. Jesus was convinced that actually our money and how we deal with money was one of the most important things about us. Our relationship to money is one of the most important principles in our life. Uh, it's one of the most telling evidences of what's in our heart. Um, and it's one of the most uh, likely things to fix our destiny, to shape the outcome of our lives. What we do with money, how we deal with money is huge and very important. And I believe it's important for everyone. So please don't uh, sort of zone out, um, but also please remember that I'm targeting members of the church in what I have to say because I, I want to appeal to all of us to, to be part of the team uh, when it comes to the money. So let me read to you from the Psalms. We're going to read this Psalm, Psalm 67, and then we'll pray and then we'll get into applying it to our lives. It says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, let all the ends of the earth fear him. So uh, I think the, the question that many people would have, or at least the, maybe not a question, but just a, even just a response from the gut would be, I, I, I get the point of being generous. I think being generous is, is a valid thing. It's a good thing. It's a noble thing. It's, a, it's, 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 it's exciting even. I, I, I like the idea perhaps of generosity. 
giving to good causes, giving to those in need particularly. And that, that's hard to disagree with. People would generally see that as positive, but I suppose in Brighton and, and such places as, as, as uh, Brighton, and most of us would, would have also wrestled from time to time with the question, but why to the church? Why should money go to the church uh, of, of all parties? Why would we want to give to the work of the church when there are other needs and other things that we should give to? And, and I suppose part of our objection would be because of a tendency to uh, question the, the importance of the church, to, to slate the church, to, uh, to downplay the church, marginalize the church, perhaps to apologize for the church. I think many people who actually would be very committed Christians, very happy to even refer to themselves as followers of Jesus, may have got used to hearing themselves say, don't, don't look at the church. I've, I've found myself saying that. I've, I've said to people who don't follow Jesus, who, who are interested in Christianity, who are you know, investigating, make, making their inquiries, I've occasionally said to people, look, don't, don't, don't look at the church, look at Jesus. Don't be distracted by the church, look at Jesus. And you know, I suppose we may have heard that kind of thing. It's, it's an understandable uh, way of expressing things. But I wonder if it's right. I wonder if it's all that helpful. I, I, I want to just help us to think this through just before we get into the, the main application of this message. Let me just help you with this, this, this way in which we need to see the church. Because for so many people, the church is a negative thing, even if they think Jesus is a positive thing. They love Jesus, but they hate the church. How do we deal with that? Well, let me just quickly run through four points on this very quickly. First of all, the, the, the fact is that not everything that calls itself church is church. And so it has quite a lot to do with just brand control. You know that everything starts pure in some way and then gets bigger and bigger. And then those who start the thing sometimes face the challenge of, of keeping the brand, you know, managing the brand, making sure it's still what they intended when they began the thing. And the bigger and bigger a corporation or an organization or, or even a movement gets, the further and further it can go in, in its expression from the, the, you know, the original person or the original team that launched, launched this, this product, launched this idea. And, and you know, everything, even Starbucks was kind of, you know, was really independent and edgy once. You know, everything you know, in Brighton, you know, generally people who live around here will be very keen on the independent, on the small, on the artisan, on the, on the crafted. And we're a little nervous of the big multinational. Generally, there's only a few that get through and still seem legit and seem kind of acceptable because we notice that there's this kind of bleed that happens with scale. And the church, maybe it's fair to think of it in those terms for a moment. Could it be that the brand hasn't always been managed that well? I remember when I was at... Uh, Secondary school, we had a headmaster who was quite keen that we behaved well on the buses and on the way home from school and on the way to school because we were wearing the school uniform. When you wear that uniform, you represent this school, he used to say. If, you, if, you, if you're going to do bad things, don't do them with that uniform on. 
you know, if you, if you, if you got the uniform on, you know, you, you're polite to the bus driver. You help old ladies across the road. He didn't really seem to care. If we took the uniform off, we could set fire to the bus and eat the driver as far as he was concerned, as long as, as, long as we weren't wearing the uniform. But of course, the drawback of that approach is that someone else could put the uniform on. You know, if they were conspiring to bring the school down, you could get people who are particularly, you know, outrageous, wearing the school jumper and then doing outrageous things. Uh, and, and actually causing the name of the school to suffer. And perhaps through history, it's fair to say the church has suffered that, that problem. So the, there is perhaps an issue of what, what's truly the followers of Jesus? What's truly the church? What's truly Christian? Maybe that would help us to understand why things have gone so awry. But we can't go too far with that point because the reality is as well that those who follow Jesus... Follow Jesus as people who are weak, people who are in need, people who have responded to what Jesus first said. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. In other words, he's building up a whole, a whole movement of followers who are hypocrites, frankly. That's why it kind of makes me smile when people say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And I kind of think, well, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't deny it. The church is full of sinners. Yeah, that's what made them Christians. That's what qualified them. They're people who understood their need. They're people who saw that they were sinners. That may be the only difference. I remember a friend of mine, I've told this story a few times here. You maybe have heard me say it. A friend of mine was approached at a party and someone said to him, what, what do you do? He said, I'm a pastor of a church. Oh, what church is that? And he told them which church it was. And this person said, oh, I've heard of that church. That church is full of failures. And my friend immediately came back with the perfect answer. He said, yeah, they are all failures. The only difference between them and you is that they've noticed that. They've admitted it. And that's, that's actually a qualification for the church. It's people who know they're weak. And so we shouldn't necessarily be surprised if the church has got a few, a few dark things, a few sad things, a few things that, that we need forgiveness for. Well, that might help us as well to... I guess, explain some of the, the difficulties we have with the image people have for the church. One third thing I could say is that in reality, however well the church performs, however well she does at what she's called to do, I don't think that the church will ever completely avoid being tarred with a very dark brush, a very, a very unfair colour will occasionally be uh, imputed to the church because there is, it would seem, a general tendency for the world to, to kind of take a jaded view, even when it seems that Christians are doing what they're meant to do. The Bible even explains this, says that, that, that Christians are like a, a fragrance which some people really love and some people really hate. Some people will love the fragrance of the church. Paul talks about this in his second letter to the Corinthians. It's, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, that's, that's, that's nice. Oh, yeah, we want these Christians. They, they do us good. We're so pleased they're around. And then for others, the very same fragrance is, oh, man, get them out. You know, even Mother Teresa was harshly criticised. 
had whole columns in newspapers written against her. A famous journalist, Christopher Hitchens, attacked her in a Channel 4 documentary against her. You think, what on earth? How could it be that she would get attacked? And it, it makes me think, if they're coming after her, they're definitely coming after me. There's not going to be any one of us, it seems, that will completely avoid a negative uh, image being given to the church. And the best proof of that is not actually Mother Teresa, but Jesus himself. If Jesus was criticized, if Jesus was rejected and, and mocked and slandered and ultimately executed, well, anyone who follows him should expect that we will never win everybody over, even at our very best, even if we according to heaven's perspective, represent him wonderfully, the reality is the world will still react negatively at least sometimes. But let me suggest a fourth and very important response. I, I wouldn't want us to simply quit, nevertheless, on, on the hope that we should have for the church. Because the reality is that the Bible still presents a vision for the church, even in the psalm that I just read to you, as a, the church, the people of God, as a blessed community, bringing God's blessing to the world, the Bible's presentation of the church is a very big, fat, hopeful presentation. Jesus himself, when he was speaking of the people who follow him, when he was speaking of his church, he spoke in words pregnant with hope and promise and, and, and glorious anticipation. Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 6 about his people by saying, you are the light of the world. You are. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. He talked about us as a light that gives light to the whole room. It's like a light in a lamp that shouldn't be covered and a light that gives light to the whole world, in fact. Jesus speaks of the church as those who, who carry his light, his revelation, his, his goodness, his blessing. That's his plan. That's his promise. He, he speaks in Matthew chapter 16 about the church in words that are reminiscent of a kind of I guess a kind of mission statement of a great leader. It's a bit like Martin Luther King on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial he, with his famous, I have a dream speech. If Jesus has an equivalent, I wonder if it would be Matthew 16. Although he didn't speak it to the millions like at the Lincoln Memorial, he speaks it to just his inner group, his inner gang of 12 disciples in, in Caesarea Philippi where he took them away for a, for a retreat. But he gathers them and he says to them in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. This is, this is Jesus' mission statement. This is Jesus' great unveiling of the plan. This is Jesus saying, guys, huddle in. I want you to know what the great agenda is, what I have come to accomplish. I will build my church and it will defeat the powers of darkness. That's my plan. Jesus is full of ambition for his church. Jesus is full of jealousy for his church. And this is one of the great surprises. I really want to talk about three surprises in this message. The first is that, that God plans to bless his church, that God, God's blessing is upon the church. The church carries the blessing of God. 
Jesus has been clear about this from the beginning. He's completely committed. He's completely invested in the church, this city on a hill, God's urban dream, I like to call it, the church of Jesus Christ. And you see it in the way he behaves towards her. We might feel embarrassed. We might see the church as the thing to apologize for, to keep people's eyes away from, to kind of shuffle away into the distance. Don't talk to the church. A bit like, you know, kids whose parents turn up to take them home from the party. It's like, just, just wait outside. I'll get in the car. Just wait outside. I don't, don't come in. Don't come in. Don't, 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 I don't want my friends to see you. How often have you felt like that as a follower of Jesus about the church? I don't want you to come. I don't want you to see But Jesus doesn't feel like that. When Jesus thinks of the church, his heart beats fast. Really. Jesus is the kind of husband to a bride, the church being the bride, who loves his bride so much he lays his life down for her. Jesus is that committed. When when one of the church's early persecutors who was rounding up believers in Jesus and jailing them and beating them up and having some of them executed, Jesus, Jesus arrested him. Jesus met him on, on, on the road to Damascus and spoke to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? No, he doesn't actually say that. Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? He's that invested. He says it's, it's, it's his, it's, it speaks... He identifies so much with his people. You're touching me when you touch my people. That's how he feels. And because of his passion for the church, he has seen to it through history. He's kept his word. He said, I'll build my church. We don't necessarily see the best of it in this part of the world. We see all kinds of snarky comments in the media, all kinds of apparently ineffectual bishops having debates and discussions and seeming to not be able to get their act together and just feeling like that strange, awkward, marginalised kind of, you know, great uncle on the side of society that we kind of wish wasn't there. That's not the church as Jesus sees it. When God looks at his global people, he sees something vibrant. He sees the millions, the tens of millions, possibly over 100 million believers in China, in China, where it's still, there's still harassment against Christians, pastors being locked up. There's still all kinds of difficulties. He sees that the many, many becoming Christians in Southeast Asia, in in South America, in Africa. He sees that the world is actually becoming more and more influenced by the gospel as every day tens of thousands are swept into the kingdom of Jesus. Every day the church grows and grows and flourishes and has tremendous influence for the good in nation after nation. I love saying this, and you've heard some of you, uh, me say this before, but the, the country in the world with the greatest proportional church growth for, as a country, the greatest proportional growth of the church is Iran, of all countries, where, where you're going up against a, a, a fundamentalist Islamic militant government, effectively, where it's thoroughly dangerous to follow Jesus. But the church can't be snuffed out. In fact, churches are multiplying and being planted. Underground churches, secret churches growing and not much is known about them. But we know it's happening. Because why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He's true to his word. He's passionate about her. A friend of mine planted a church in Istanbul. And uh, he's actually coming to speak to 
some of us, there's an Emmanuel Men gathering at the Clarendon Centre this coming Saturday on the 14th of July. Uh, join us for that. Andy McCulloch coming to speak, dear friend, and he's going to bring, I believe, some, some real encouragement. You should be there, guys. We have women's events sometimes, men's events sometimes. This one's for the men. Join us. It will be inspiring. It will encourage you. It will do you good. It will be a brilliant start to your weekend. Just a, a short time in the morning on Saturday the 14th. But anyway, Andy, my friend, he talks about this quite often. There was a, a man in his uh, city became a Christian. He was a tattooist. He ran a tattoo parlor. He brought his wife to church and she looked at the church on one Sunday. Or, no, the day they gathered. I don't think it was a Sunday. They meet on a different day. And she just mocked the whole thing. In her heart, she despised it, thinking, this is a joke. <laughs> what are these people doing? What are these people doing? I wonder if that's how some of you feel when you've come to church. Or maybe you feel that right now. Maybe, maybe you felt like that when you first came and now you follow Jesus. How many Christians have started their engagement with church by being dis, just sort of dismissive inwardly? She mocked it. She thought it was just daft. And to be honest, I kind of know what she means. I know what it feels like to feel like we're not doing that well. We're not that impressive. You know, especially if you're starting a church, if you're planting something new or a new site or a new service somewhere. You feel like, oh, this isn't so strong. Maybe you've started a small group and thought, this isn't going so well. And you can feel ashamed of what you're trying to build. It just feels new and young and, and, and kind of not very, not very much momentum and progress. And you have those Sundays where you think, oh, it was such a bad Sunday. I didn't do very well or I didn't, I didn't explain it very well. And just, you can just feel depleted and exhausted and discouraged. And like, what am I doing wasting my time? And I'm sure that when Andy saw his friend's wife being dismissive of the whole thing, he, he may have felt dismayed and thought, well, maybe she's going, what, what are we doing here? What are we doing in Istanbul, this mighty city of so many millions? Only she had a dream that night. As she slept, she dreamt that she saw Jesus who came to her with scars on his hands. And he said to her, do you think these scars, these wounds hurt me? And she said, yeah. And he said, let me show you. He touched her hands and she felt extraordinary pain in her hands for just a moment in this dream. And he said to her, don't mock my people. Don't mock my people. And when she woke up, she still had in her hands the marks that were given her in the dream. This is a friend of mine. I'm not making this up. This is a story passed on by a friend who's with us next weekend. You need to know Jesus cares about his church. He's excited about her. He cares about her future He's got plans for her. And I, I, I say this to help you to understand that what the Bible teaches should be reflected in the way we who follow Jesus prioritise things, how we build our lives, even how we think financially. In our giving, I'm saying to Jesus all the time, help me to give in a way that reflects the kind of hope that you have for your church. Help me to, help me to have the same hope. Help me, to, help me to believe great things are going to happen amongst your people, even Emmanuel. My giving to Emmanuel doesn't reflect how well I think Emmanuel is doing right now. I'm always encouraged when it is going well, but ultimately I go back to the promise of Jesus who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. That is a good investment plan. That is a good thing to put money towards. I say, Jesus, I want to put my money, 
my resources, my wealth towards the thing that you have said eternally will exist. The, the church has an eternal destiny. And so I get to invest in that. That is reflected in the way I think even about my giving. Have you thought about your giving in those terms? Have you thought as you've planned your life, what do I invest in that's going to have eternal significance? There'll be many things that seem important right now. Everything that you have to give to, from, I don't know, from, from Amazon to Inland Revenue, to, to Tesco, whatever it is that, you, that takes up your funds, all of these things, even the Inland Revenue will not exist one day. But if Jesus is right, if he's truly risen from the grave, then so will the church. <laughs> and there's an eternal future and destiny that we are giving towards, we're investing in when we put giving to the church first in our priority. Let me talk about the second surprise. The church is, is, is carrying God's blessing, but secondly, the church is blessed to be a blessing. This is how it works in God's economy. If we're blessed, we are blessed for the sake of blessing. This is what seems to be hinted in this psalm I read to you. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. God's people, Israel, knew that they, they carried this amazing blessing from God, but they also understood that the reason the blessing had been given them, the reason they carried these promises was not for their own sake, but because God was aching to bless the nations of the world, all the families of all the nations of the world. The church carries God's blessing, which means that we're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed in order that others can be blessed. This is how it started with a man called Abram, the first of, of those who were chosen out of all the nations of the world. This man, Abram, and all God's promises were given to this man who became Abraham. And he became the father of many nations. God said, I will bless you, Abraham. And because I'm going to bless you, all the families of the nations will be blessed. The way God blesses is by blessing someone first. He starts, it's like he has a domino set and he starts with the first domino. He starts with someone he's going to be through the one that's blessed, that he's chosen. There are many blessed. And it's been that story since. God began something with Abram and he raised up a nation. And he said, through your offspring, through your seed, I'll bless all the nations of the world. That's what's happened now through Jesus ultimately. This is what uh, we see in reality happening all the time. You think about it, you know, a, a, a selected group of 11 guys will be winning a trophy in a few weeks' time or however soon it is. A few guys will be blessed with gold, but by being blessed, they will bless whichever nation they happen to have flown in from. They will bless themselves in a sense, but they will also bless their nation. It's like that so often in life. We receive a blessing so that others can be blessed, so that a whole people, so that whole peoples, nations, Plural, cities, plural, can receive the same. There's a principle here that, that, that God takes up that we see in the way he blesses Abram to bless the world. He blesses Israel to bless the world. He blesses the church in order that the world will be blessed. It's like the difference between a stagnant pond and a, a lake with, 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 with rivers going out of it, like a dead sea or a sea of Galilee. You know, when you see a pond or a lake that's, that's not got any water flowing out of it, it's, it's like it's, it's become just a reception for water, but gradually its life fades because it's not sending life out. 
And a, a, river, a lake that's not having stuff flowing out will t- generally tend ultimately to become stagnant, won't become a place of life. And it's like that with our lives. We give in order to live. We give in order to thrive. We thrive with life as we give out. When we hoard and contain the blessing of God, we begin to forfeit it. You see that in in the Scriptures. You see that happening in all kinds of ways. So you might ask the question, how can I be a blessing? I'm not going to be a blessing to anyone. I don't see myself as able to bless other people. I'm not, you mentioned the, the World Cup 11. It's not as if I'm, you know, a great, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not an achiever in the way that those selected people are. You might also say, how can I be a blessing if I haven't been blessed? I don't feel very blessed. Maybe as a follower of Jesus, you're even on a financial basis feeling unblessed. I don't feel looked after at the moment. I feel like I'm struggling financially. I don't know how to, to bless anybody. Let me help you to think this one through. The Bible talks about God's people sometimes with the image of like a vineyard, like a place where grapes are grown for the sake of making wine, I suppose. You see that in Isaiah chapter 5 and one or two other places in the Old Testament, like a vineyard. But God says, I planted this vineyard of my people, but they yielded wild grapes. The the wine was sour. There was something wrong with them. They didn't bless the nations. I planted this vineyard to bring blessing if you like. He was like God's being a wine merchant. I want to send wine around the world. I want to bring joy to the world. And it's like the people of God can fail to be a blessing in the way that God calls them to be. That was really Israel's story throughout those pages. And then there comes the time when Jesus, having turned water into wine in John's gospel, says to, to his disciples, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. You're the branches. Remain in me. Remain in me and you will bear fruit. Jesus is saying, I'm the true Israel. I'm the one that was planted by God. Israel as a nation, just like Adam, just like all humans, just like everybody, planted in this world to be blessed and to be a blessing, to bring God's blessing to one another, to be self-giving, selfless, loving people who live for others. Even Israel failed to do that. Even the ones so close to God, so privileged by God, didn't live out this vocation. They really became insular. They really became selfish. They really ended up worshipping other gods, even replacing the true God that had chosen them and rescued them and blessed them. Jesus comes and says, I'm the true Israel. I'm the true vine. I'm the one that can bring fruit, much fruit to the world. And if you, if you think, I can't bear fruit, I have nothing to give. My friend, I know you don't have anything to give. Neither do I. I don't have anything to give. Financially, I really, I can't bless the world, not on my salary. I can't bless the world in my resources. In my, I haven't got that much to give. I haven't. This isn't a message for the wealthy, really. It's not like, well, if you rich people could get giving, then the rest of us will be bailed out. It's not like that at all. No, we, we are fruitful, not because we bring resources to Jesus. We bring nothing to Jesus. We bring debts. We bring failure. We bring shame. We bring the past and all its guilt. 
and all our shortcomings and all our weaknesses and frailties and recessant problems and sins that we feel that we will never be free from and all the things that disqualify and trip us up. That's what we bring. We bring that to Jesus. He says, I am the true vine. Abide in me. Remain in me. You'll bear much fruit. You'll bear much, much fruit. You will grow a lot of fruit. We can't bear fruit. No one can just decide to bear fruit any more than anyone can just become a tree. You just try one day to bear fruit. Of course you can't. It's like asking a pig to fly. There's nothing we can do in ourselves to bear the kind of fruit God looks to see in human lives. But those who are fused into Jesus, plugged into Jesus, those who are trusting in Jesus, the fruit-bearing true vine, those who've given their hearts to Jesus, there's no end to the fruit that can be born through your life. There's no end to the generosity, the giving, the blessing that you can bring to the world, not because you're well off, but because you're in Christ, because you're in the fruit-bearing Jesus, the one who is a blessing. And it means everything to us because it means even if we like that, that poor widow in the temple, you may know the story. When the rich were coming in to give their great big fat gifts, probably to impress other people, this poor widow came in and brought just one or two coins. And Jesus, who's awkwardly watching the whole scene, draws the attention of the disciples and says, she's the one that's truly bearing fruit here. Why? Because she's given so much. No, she's given hardly anything, but she's given everything. She's given everything. That's it. Her trust is in God. Her roots go down into the true vine. She's, she's bearing fruit. It's not show. It's not religion. It's not, it's not false piety. It's faith in Jesus. It's trusting Jesus. And knowing Jesus, that means we bear so much fruit. And if you say, well, I, I haven't been blessed. I don't know how to be a blessing. I've not been blessed. I have to say to you, have you seen nothing? If you follow Jesus, honestly, my friend, the truth about you is that you have been overwhelmingly blessed. There's a whole chapter in the New Testament that describes it. Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you say, well, spiritual blessings, they're not very important, you're, you're quite wrong. Stop and consider, because he lists them. He chose us in him before the world was formed. To be, to be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us in love to be adopted as his children, as sons, through Jesus Christ. In, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us freely in the beloved, in Jesus and he made known to us the mystery of his will, that, that he would bring all things in heaven and on earth under, under one head, even Christ Jesus, when the times have reached their fulfilment. The blessings that we know, my friend, the problem is not whether we've been blessed. The problem is that we're blind to our blessings. And those that live conscious of the great true blessings 
that are ours in Christ, we'll learn to bless freely, widely, generously, extravagantly, confidently. You'll be at great peace. You'll learn what it is to give a great amount. Let me urge you, let me encourage you. We're not doing a gift day, as I've said in this series already, this summer. We're not doing a conventional gift day. We're instead challenging you about your regular monthly giving, if you're a member of this church. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be free to give lavish gifts on top. Like I said before, that's what Kate and I are doing. We're gladly putting up our regular giving and giving a big lavish gift on top because we've met the lavish one. We, we know that we're blessed in Christ. We know that he, he cares for us more than we could possibly imagine. And in heavenly places, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And if our eyes are never on that, but only on those temporal needs that we feel are so very important and dominate our attention way more than that which has blessed us, it will restrict our level of blessing. It will restrict how much we feel free. God wants you to feel free. What's your focus on? What are you aware of? See, the third, question, the third surprise that I see is that you can be blind to blessing. You can be quite blessed and still quite blind about it. You can just miss it, just not see. I've come across a true story recently written in a book, a very powerful book, but describing in the author's life a time when, as a teenager, his, his parents took him to the Grand Canyon and he, they, they, they park the car, and he's kind of being invited, let's go, let's go and see it. I get out of the car, let's just walk a few yards, a few score yards to see the unique, extraordinary Grand Canyon. And he, I guess, perhaps as a teenager sometimes, I don't know, I don't be really cruel to teenagers, they're not all like this for sure. Uh, but, but I mean, people of any age can be like this for whatever reason. He stayed in the car, just, just, just wrapped up with whatever he was doing. I don't know looking at his phone. I don't know what he was doing. He was just, I just couldn't be bothered to go. He says, to this day, I've only ever seen it on postcards and TV. The time when he could have seen it, he was trivialized away from it by the temporary, by the, the, by the tiny, by the inside of an MPV. When he could have seen it. I, I tell you, friends, have you seen, are you dwelling, are you aware of the riches of God's blessings in your life? What he's done for you. If you live in the good of it, you'll find freedom to do what that widow did, to give your all freely, to give because you know you've freely received. And it will show, your, your attitude will be, I want to put my wealth towards that which is important. Where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. It's true, isn't it? You invest in anything. I, I, I don't look at the financial pages of any newspaper I ever get. I always put those aside or go through them quick. I just don't. Why? Because I'm not invested in any of those companies. A little bit of information for you. I, I'm not, okay? Maybe I will be one day. I'm not right now. But it means I just don't even notice those pages. Why? Because I'm not invested in them. Are you invested in the church? No, not particularly. I'm not, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care about the church. I don't really want to know about the church. I'm not interested. I just, I just go past those pages. I don't, I don't really want to know. I'm not interested in the church. I wonder if you're giving. If you start giving, you'll find you want to know how the church is doing. You'll start praying. You'll start pleading with God. You'll start being involved more and more because you care about the progress of Jesus' people and Jesus' passion, which is his people. 
So actually where our treasure goes is where our heart goes. Where, where, where do we invest our treasure? Well, that will affect things. And it will mean that we can start living in the true blessing of God. These people, in, 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 like my friend who, who didn't see the Grand Canyon, can just be blind to the point where they don't see what true blessing is. It's like the people in Laodicea in, 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 in the book of Revelation who say, actually, I'm very content. I've done very well. I'm very happy in my life. They're blind in a different way. They're blind not because they're saying, well, I've not been blessed. They're saying, no, I have been blessed. But the kind of blessing they're having is, is just this worldly, just, just pleasant, affluent, nice, comfortable life, which I guess is what a few of us know here in 21st century Brighton. Nice, comfortable, affluent life. And, and, and Jesus says to them in, in Revelation chapter 3, he says, you say, I've arrived. I've got everything. I'm, I'm sussed. I'm, I'm safe. I'm fine. I have everything. And Jesus says, you don't know that you are poor. You are blind. You are pitiable. You're in, you, are, you are destitute. Because our, our eyes need, need healing. Spiritually, we don't see as we should. And we can be contented, quite falsely contented. And we need to do what he says. He says to the Laodiceans, he says, I urge you to buy for yourselves salve for your eyes. I urge you to get the proper eyesight. I urge you to see things as you should. What does that mean? Interesting that he says, purchase it, buy it. Maybe he's saying, I want you to learn to give. Literally, use the money you've got now to purchase better perspective, better spiritual eyesight. I find as I give, I see more clearly. I think more clearly about spiritual things. I start to treasure the right things a bit more. See, what do you treasure? I treasure this church flourishing. I think, God, what would it mean for us to live in the good of your blessings as a people? More than we ever, ever have. This church has been around for about 40 years and we've been blessed in lots of ways. We've been very blessed and we know in spiritual heavenly places we are eternally blessed. I wonder what kind of blessings we can come into. I wonder what we will get the chance to do. I wonder what we'll see. I, I, I recently came across a church in another country that gives a million dollars a month to, to mission outside of its own church. A million dollars a month away to other things. A million dollars a month. And I read that kind of thing. I think, oh my goodness, Lord, what could you do through us? I think, what are some of the wounds in our city that we need to serve and solve and bring healing to? What are some of the terrible needs that we could be a blessing to that Jesus put us here to help with? A friend of mine in Greenwich, I was just last week with the Emmanuel Church Greenwich, some really good friends of ours, and I was preaching there, and a friend of mine who's in that church is meeting this week with, with the Mayor of London because he's, he's actually starting as a believer, to work even with other churches to, to help bring an end to knife crime in his part of London, with, especially with young people. And he's raising money for it, and we're working as a church there to raise money because we want to heal the wounds of our cities. The wounds of Brighton are many. Some of them are under the surface. Some of them no one talks about, but they're agony for people. God's called us here. He's put us here. This is our time. This is our lifetime. Jesus, help us to give to your church, to Zion, the, the joy of the whole earth, the hope of the world, the city set on a hill, the one that you said that you would build and the gates of hell would not prevail. 
prioritise the church in your giving. I know you say, I want to give to lots of things. I want to give to other things too. I do as well. I promise you with all my heart, I love giving to individual people, to other needs that come up that are not the church, not Emmanuel. But my friends, I give the primary giving to the church of Jesus Christ to which I'm committed, to which I'm, of which I'm a part. And the truth is, the more I do that, the more God enables me to give more to others as well. I fix my priority on the thing that God has called me to prioritise and actually he enables me to give to others as well, to be generous beyond that as well. And that's a good example for us all. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this gift of giving that you share with us, this privilege of being a blessing. We thank you for the one who has come to bless us, lift us up from our mess. I pray we will live in the good of his kindness to us and we will serve others and give to others as a result. In Jesus' name, amen.